This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. I'm sorry, is there anybody here? Good morning. Good morning. Very good. You're awake. I'm Pastor Corey. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I want to welcome you to this time where we answer some questions or at least consider some questions. I I love this series and I love this question in particular about what happens when God calls us to go all in because there's something that is shared across this globe with all human beings. If you're a human being, then you share in this, okay? You are created by God and because you're created by God, we all have these similar feelings. Uh, Sometime in our life, we are gonna feel like there's something more. Like we wanna be part of something and have purpose. We wanna have impact in somebody's life. We wanna make a difference in this world. Not so that our name can be Carnegie on, on, on every hall, but because we want to make a difference in, in somebody else's life and in this world. And the reason why we all feel that is because we are created by God. We are created to have the living God inside of us, infusing us and filling us with his love, and then using us, yes, using us to be his hands and feet to spread his love on this planet, to make a difference for him. And so we're going to talk a little bit about people who have been confronted with this question of going all in for God. The first uh, story I want to share with you is a story of a farmer named Elisha. Uh, he lives his life on the farm. He, uh, he has, and this is way back in the Old Testament times, he has got 12 oxen and 12, or excuse me, he's got 24 oxen, 12 yokes. So he, do you think that that makes him rich? Did you guys fall asleep already? So during, G, during the time in the Old Testament, if he's got 24 oxen and 12 yoke, do you think he's rich? Oh, there's a few of you awake. Excellent. Yeah, he is very rich. He's very rich. And he spends every day getting up and he plows the fields. He works the farm. And he spends his day in and out like this. But he has those same cravings that you and I do, wondering if there's something more, wondering if his life might have purpose and what that might be. Well, one day, Elisha is out farming, and somewhere across the desert is Elijah, who is a prophet of God. Now, a prophet, you know what an Old Testament prophet is, right? It's a very simple definition. A prophet is a truth teller. That's all a prophet is, a truth teller, telling God's truth. Now, that's not a very popular profession, because most of the prophets, most of those people who told God's truth had very short careers. And the the life insurance policy wasn't real good because they were killed. Because people don't like to hear God's truth. And so uh, this was a very dangerous profession because people tend not to like to hear the truth. And Elijah has just gone through one of these periods where he had told the truth in a very dramatic way. And the response was a woman by the name of Jezebel promised to kill him if she ever caught him and saw him. So Elijah takes off and he hides in a cave. And in this cave, uh, God comes and he comforts Elijah just like comforting a child saying, it's okay, it's all right. I've got you, I'm in control of the situation. 
Now I want you to go across the desert and find a farmer by the name of Elisha and I want you to put the cloak of prophet on his shoulders. This is what I want you to do. So Elijah gets up, he goes across the desert and now we pick up the story. This is found in 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, Shaphat's son. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Elisha was with the 12th yoke. Elijah met up with him and threw his cloak on him. Elisha immediately left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother, Elisha said, then I will follow you. Elijah replied, go, I'm not holding you back. Elisha turned back from following Elijah, took the pair of oxen and slaughtered them. Then with equipment from the oxen, Elisha boiled the meat, gave it to the people and they ate. Then he got up, followed Elijah and served him. Now, in this passage that we just read together, or that I read to you rather, did you hear Elijah say anything to Elisha about becoming a prophet? You guys fell asleep again, didn't you? That's just crazy. You need more coffee in the morning, I tell you. So yes or no, did Elijah say anything to Elisha about becoming a prophet? No, he didn't. He just threw the cloak on him. Elisha knew what that cloak meant. That cloak symbolized that he was to be a prophet. And as soon as that cloak hit his shoulders, he knew what God was calling him to do. He knew it. He knew the plan. That feeling that he had inside of him about wanting to make a difference, all of a sudden jumped to its feet and said, yes, Elisha, now's the time. Now you're going to make a difference. You're going to be a prophet. And his response to Elijah was, wait a sec, I'm going to leave everything here. Everything. So can I go back and say goodbye to my folks real quick? Because I know how you guys operate. I might be real soon. So I'd like to say goodbye. Is that okay? And Elijah's like, I don't care. You do what you want. So he goes back. He says goodbye to his folks. He leaves everything. And then the, the, the pair of oxen that he was with, he slaughters them. He takes the, the wood from the yoke and he uses it as fuel for fire, and he has a feast. He invites his neighbors, say, hey, hey, Brandon, I'm having steaks and ribs. Come on over and celebrate because I'm gonna be a prophet and my life's gonna end soon. Woohoo! I am all in. You see, that rich farmer could have done something. He could have sold all of those oxen. He could have sold all of the yoke. He could have sold all of his equipment and, and taken that money and set it off to the side and thought, well, when this uh, prophet gig gets kind of hairy, I'll get out and I'll have this retirement money and I'll jump over to Crete and nobody will miss me. (laughs) I've got a backup plan. He could have done that. It was quite lucrative, I'd imagine. All of that livestock and farm equipment. But he didn't. Elisha was all in. When God called him to be prophet, he said goodbye to his parents, he said goodbye to his land, he said goodbye to all of his, everything. And he said, God, you want me? I'm here, let's go. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? How often does that happen? (laughs) Does that happen to you? I mean, this is the pillar, this is the pinnacle, this is who we look up to, right? 
but that ain't my story. Uh-uh. That isn't how it happened with me. Is that how it happened with you? There's another story that happens to be in a chapter 19, Matthew 19, where Jesus uh, meets up with the, the heading on the passage says the rich young ruler. Now that, that heading is terrible, that, that it's not the right heading, it's wrong. I will tell you why in a minute, why I think that's wrong. But Jesus meets up with this rich young ruler, this rich young person, this person who's got wealth, meets up with Jesus, and he asks Jesus a question. And he asks Jesus a question because something's not right. He feels that longing, that purpose within him, and everything is just not right just yet. He's been doing the stuff, but it just, uh, there's still something more. So he goes to Jesus to figure out what that more is. We pick this up here in Matthew 19. A man approached him and said, teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. The man said, which ones? Then Jesus said, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The young man replied, Hoo-hoo, I've kept all those, but, but what am I still missing? Jesus said, if you want to be complete, go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But then the young man heard this. He went away saddened because he had many possessions. He was holding it back. Yeah, he followed the rules. He knew what to do. He played that, the, the Jewish card. I mean, he went to Saturday school. Yeah, some of you are awake now. He went to Saturday school. He made sacrifices. He knew what he was doing. He dressed right. He went to the box. You know, we give offering in the dark and pass the plate. They had a box out there where everyone could see, and you would come by and drop your offering in so everybody could. He did all that. He did it, but he knew inside that there was still something missing. And when Jesus identified it, it was his wealth because he was holding it back for himself. Now, is God against wealth? Absolutely not. God is against whatever you hold back from him. You get it? Whatever you hold back from him, that's what the issue is. You see, the heading shouldn't say the rich young ruler. It should say anybody who asks God about salvation. Or put your name in. Corey asked Jesus about being saved. That's what it should say. Insert your name here. Because the response is, did you do all this? But that thing you're holding back, your family, your job, your reputation, your wealth, your car, you name it, whatever it is that you're holding back from God keeping for yourself, that is whatever it is. For this young man, it happened to be wealth. Go figure. It happens to be wealth for a lot of people, <laughs> which is why that example is used. But you see, that is closer to our story, isn't it? When God calls us to go all in, we don't 
go all in. We go kind of in. We stick a toe in. Okay, God, I'm with you. <laughs> you get this much. This much is mine. And maybe you can't relate to that story. Let me try another story. Back in the 40s, a young man by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien wrote a book called The Hobbit. How many of you have heard The Hobbit? You're going to have to say it because I can't see you with the train coming. <laughs> yes, you've heard of The Hobbit. You've either read the book because you had to in school or because you want to, or you saw the movie, which was terrible, but let's skip that. Uh, you know what The Hobbit is. You see, Tolkien wrote The Hobbit as a young adult book, believe it or then, believe it or not, back then that was a young adult book, uh, a young adult book to tell the story about an average person named Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins lived in the Shire. He lived a normal life. He did normal things. He cleaned his house. He cooked. He went to work. He would visit his neighbors. He would tend his flowers. He did everyday things. And in that routine of his life, he was very comfortable. He knew what was going to come next. He knew exactly how his life would go. Everything was comfortable. Nothing changed. And it was very much the same. You see, Tolkien later writes that he wrote Bilbo Baggins to be you and me, to be the average person, to be the person on the planet who loves routine, who loves to be comfortable and secure. But Bilbo had two fears. He had two fears. The first fear was this, the fear that there was something more out there for him, a purpose, an adventure, and he feared that. He feared that, but not as much as he feared this, the second thing, the thing that you and I fear, that is losing our security, losing what we know to be routine and mundane because it is comfortable, it is safe, it is where we belong. And Bilbo feared losing that more than anything. And one day, a wise old wizard by the name of Gandalf comes. Now Gandalf knew Bilbo better than Bilbo knew himself, okay? And he goes up to Bilbo and he says, I have an adventure for you. I want you to go on this adventure. It's gonna be great. You are perfect for it and you're going to do it. And Bilbo says, uh-uh, no way, no thank you. I believe he says good morning five times to him and says, I'm out of here. And he slams the door in Gandalf's face and Gandalf says, We'll see about this. Later that evening, there's a knock on Bilbo's door. He's in his bathrobe and he is ready to sit down to eat in his safe routine. He opens the door and there are dwarves. It's people he has no idea who they are. They're not his neighbors, they're foreigners. And he is courteous, so he invites them in. By the end of the night, there's a whole troop of them in his house. And finally, Gandalf shows up. And Bilbo's like, Gandalf, what is going on? And he becomes outraged because the dwarves wreck his house. They eat his food. They take over. But Bilbo hears the stories of their past and the adventure they're about to go on. And Bilbo's heart is stirred once again to adventure. He knows that this is the right thing for him. He's about ready to say yes to this adventure. He's about ready to go all in. And then the troop offers him the job, offers him a position, and they pull out the contract. And the contract lists all the good things, all the things that could happen, 
And a few bad things. He gets a share of the treasure. He gets to be part of the troop. And if he dies, they pay for his funeral. <laughs> that stops him short. And all you need to do is sign here. And you're in. Bilbo's response to this is passing out cold on the floor. Then he gets up and he stomps off to his room. He is not partaking in any adventure that pulls him outside of his comfort zone, even though he feels the pull of longing to have purpose in this life. He ignores it and gives in to comfort. But it come morning light, things look different. With the morning sun coming in the windows and the dust motes flying in the air, things look different. The echoes of the stories and songs are still haunting the ceiling. And he listens to them. And he realizes that he has just made a mistake. He has missed out on what he has longed for his whole life. He turns towards the mantle over the fire and sees that they left the contract for him. They left it there in case he changed his mind. He grabs a backpack, he fills it up, he grabs the contract and he starts running towards the troop with the contract in his hand trailing behind him. Now his pastoral, very proper neighbors are like, hmm, Bilbo, what is wrong? And Bilbo, clutching this contract, yells, I'm going on an adventure! And he does. And things that Bilbo had no idea about himself, he found out. Friends, this is the adventure God gives us. We were born to accept this adventure, to be filled with his Holy Spirit. You have no idea who you are, what it means to be a human being, until you have God within you. Because you were built to have God within you. If you live your entire life without accepting his Holy Spirit, then you have no idea what it means to be human. Because you were meant to be filled with him and his love. Now, you've been told the gift of salvation is free. It is. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't pay for it. There's no action you can do to get it. But the only response, the proper response that God wants from you from the free gift of salvation is everything. Everything you are, everything you think you own, your reputation, your wealth, whatever that is, your happiness, your sadness, your family, your job. He wants it all. Yes, that's good music for this. Yeah, he wants it all. Da -da -da -da. He wants it all. And he wants you to sign on the line. And when you do sign on the line, and you're fine, and you get it all, that feeling that you have inside of you about purpose, guess what? It goes away. It goes away because the Holy Spirit fills you with his love, and you become his hands and feet in this world. You are now his love, acting being and reflecting in the lives of the people in this room, family, friends, strangers you haven't even met yet, an adventure that is beyond your imagination and outside your comfort zone, but filled with his love and his grace. But you have to sign 
the contract. Now, some of you have flirted with religion. You've flirted with being a Christian all your life. You know what to do. You're here, right? But you've never signed on the dotted line. Some of you signed on the dotted line a long time ago. And it's been a while since you've remembered. It's been a while since you felt that feeling of adventure, of surrendering your life to Christ. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then the worship team is going to come up. I'm going to be standing right there with this piece of paper and a red pen. I'll let you figure out why it's red. And if you feel that stirring in your heart that you need to sign on the dotted line, do that. Sign this as a public profession of God's love and your commitment to being all in. If you need a refresher, if this is a moment where you honor that commitment you made, do that too. Come up and sign. I don't want you up here if you just want to show off or be seen, okay? That's the wrong reason. The right reason is because God compels you. God calls you to be all in and sign on the dotted line. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you stir our hearts as you call us towards you to be all in, to live our lives in this grand adventure of your love and your grace to be used and filled by you. Lord, we thank you in this moment. Jesus, in your name.